everybody, welcome back to the Practitioner's Podcast, where we're applying Jesus-style disciple-making to everyday life. This episode and all of our episodes are powered by Navigators Church Ministries, which focuses on helping churches make disciples who can make disciples. For more information or to get connected to a navigator near you, check out our website, navigatorschurchministries.org. All right, Tony, good afternoon, morning, evening, wherever people are, those are listening to this. Um, Thanksgiving week, and we're starting out with our question like we normally do. And I have a Thanksgiving theme question for you, Tony. Oh, I love it. All right. So here it is. What is your favorite Thanksgiving Day food? So uh, this is a no-brainer for me. I only really eat it around Thanksgiving, and um, but it's one of those things that's like a comfort food for me when I do eat it, and you might not be surprised to find out it's sugary. It's pumpkin pie with Cool Whip on top. Oh, wow. Okay. Awesome. That's actually mine, too. Is it I, really? Yeah. Yeah. We never get the same answer. Oh, my gosh. We could be <laughs> twins. <laughs> Exactly right. Uh, Tony, well, today we're going to talk about definitions and how to get cultural clarity through definitions. Um, Tony, what are some definitions you've heard around discipleship? Oh, I, you know, I think this is, this is a really important topic. And because for, for so many people that I know, we don't define discipleship and in doing so everything kind of becomes discipleship. And so one of the things that I hear a lot when it comes to discipleship is the programming that churches do. So like, for example, Sunday school is discipleship. That's mm. a that's a common uh, lack of definition that leads to a lack of clarity, that leads to a whole bunch of ambiguity around what is expected in the disciple making process. Right. Uh, Justin, what about you? Yeah, I think both of us, right, are in the same space where we are interacting with and talking to different pastors and churches. And uh, we all we're almost always asking this question early on in the relationship. Well, what is what is discipleship here? What does that mean? What does that look like? And I'm no longer surprised at the variety of answers that I get. Uh, And it's anything from, well, you know, we have a really strong hospitality ministry here on Sundays. And so, you know, mm. we, we provide coffee for people and donuts and stuff like that. And I've heard people say, well, that's that's one way that we're discipling our people. Um, and what it comes down to, I think, is most people have uh, an unclear definition that is something like anything that might in some way directly or indirectly help somebody grow closer to Jesus. That's discipleship. And I kind of call that a junk drawer definition. It's whatever we want to throw into it. Uh, that's what we'll use. And and I think it's endemic of what churches are doing across the country. Uh, and like you mentioned, it is a problem, right? And, and it's a problem because if we don't have clear definitions, uh, then we can't get people to move. They're not moving towards anything. They're just right. doing and sitting and, and just appropriating or taking whatever they're already doing and putting that in that discipleship junk drawer and saying, well, yeah, see, I'm discipling too. Well, and and one of the problems that happens here is that uh, people get afraid to define things clearly because they're afraid that what they're saying is that something else isn't good. And and Mm. I see this a lot with like evangelism. So people are afraid to say, well, evangelism is discipleship. 
Well, no, it's not. There's a big difference in evangelism and discipleship yep. because the intent is different. Yeah. And so what happens is if you if you're like, well, if evangelism is not discipleship and we're all called to make disciples, uh, you know, are you saying that evangelism isn't good? No, I'm not saying that at all. Like, and this right. really fires me up when I talk to church leaders. They're like, well, are you saying that Bible study is not good? No, I'm not saying that. I, you can do a Wednesday night Bible study all you want. I love yeah. studying the Bible. I want you to study the Bible. But let's be clear. It's not the same as intentional, reproducible, and relationship-driven discipleship. Yes. Yep. And I think part of why that is is definitions in some way uh, are like a, a line, aren't they? And it, it draws a line in, in the sand or it draws a line that's clear for people of, no, this is what discipleship is. This is what disciple making is. These other things over here, they're good. They're profitable. Some of them, some of them aren't, and that's okay too. Um, but if we're going to talk about discipleship, disciple making, let's all get on the same page. Because if we're not on the same page, then it's hard to move anywhere together. And if we're not mm -hmm. moving anywhere together, it's hard to develop any sort of, of power and momentum within a culture that can then spill out from the church culture into the broader culture. Yeah, I, I have a great example of this. There's a, a gentleman who I've known for uh, you know several years, almost almost a decade really, and uh, he and I love to type talk about discipleship. And when we initially started this conversation, one of the things that he would say is that, oh, I've been doing discipleship for 20 years. And oh. I was like, oh, my gosh, I love this. I love this for your church. I love this for your community. I, I love the fact that you've been doing discipleship for so many years. He, and then I was like, tell me about it. And he was like, well, you know, I, I meet with people one-on-one. -on -one and I'm, I'm like, now I'm salivating. I'm like, oh, super. I love it. I love the intentionality here. And, and he goes, and then I just listen. And I was like, huh? And I was like, you just listen? And he was like, well, yeah, I just let them share their hearts. And then, you know, I, I asked him some questions about uh, what they're going to do differently. And I was like, oh, you've been doing, you've been doing pastoral counseling for 20 right. years. Yeah. Which is you know, good because and helpful. I, I, super, it's great. And it, it doesn't impact his witness, but let's not, um, you know, let's not mince words here. It's not the same as disciple making. Yeah. And yeah. if everyone's called to make disciples, I, I think we have to understand that this is a, a both and it's not an either or we, we have to, if you're called to do pastoral counseling, great. I do a lot of that my own, myself, but that's not going to replace the call to live out the great commission. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, we, we've talked about this before. Disciple making is not a spiritual gift, right? right? We're all called to do it. And I think we're all called to do it alongside our spiritual gifts. But we can get clear about that when you get clear about the definition, because like you said, it creates a movement. Yes, yes, absolutely. Tony, it occurs to me as we're having this conversation together that some of our listeners might be wondering, well, What's Tony and Justin's definition? And if you're interested in that, we did a whole episode on that back in season mm -hmm. one. I believe it's the third episode of season one. And so if you want that conversation or that side of it, uh, just drop back there and, and tune into that episode. Um, today, though, our focus is really about how definitions create clarity in a culture. And the clarity um, 
in the culture that definitions provide is really important because we're trying to get movement, right? And so as you alluded to just with, with your friend and that story there is that definitions lead to expectations, right? And mm. sometimes when we have clear definitions, there can be conflict that comes as a result. And I know from my work in churches and with church leaders that one of the common um, obstacles that we have to overcome, and it, it happens especially with some older church leaders, is you know, a sort of guilt, right? Because they know, well, they've seen the Great Commission for however many decades and they've been doing things and they've been faithful. And then they hear a clear definition of generational disciple making. And they think, well, are you, are you saying I haven't, I haven't made any disciples? And that's a question that sometimes they verbalize out loud and other times they don't verbalize it out loud, but, but it comes out in the way that they engage. Um, Tony, have you encountered that with some older believers and how have you handled that in the past? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that happens is that for most of the 90s and the early 2000s, the church, the, the larger church did a really good job of teaching people how to attend worship, but not a great job at teaching people how to make disciples or even follow Jesus individually. Hmm. And so when you begin to lean in on these things, there's this sense of like, oh, well, did I, I miss it? And, yeah. you, you know, if, if, we were, if we were not grace-filled humans, the, the quick answer would be, yeah, you may have missed it. Mm. You, you know, for the last 20 years, it doesn't mean you haven't done good things, right. but you may have missed it. So I think when we, when we have these dialogues with longtime believers, it's important to do two things. The first one is, is to give a lot of grace and, and that this may be a new concept for them. And so, and, and to just call it out, like, hey, we're defining, this is probably the first time in your life, your 50 plus years of following Jesus, that anyone's ever defined disciple making. Yeah. That's not your fault, right? right. So, so I, I just try to take my, my foot off the gas pedal immediately, right? And so I want to give a lot of grace. I want to be very graceful. I, I don't want to add any guilt to this dialogue at all, because there's nothing to be guilty about. So that's the first part. The second part is I want to cast a little vision about hope because the truth is, is that you're never too old to start disciple making. And now because they have the wisdom of, of a living a life of, of knowing Christ, they can give that wisdom into disciple making wherever they are. So I, I love to talk to grandparents about discipling their grandkids because that's a that's a very easy place to start that's not christian parenting that can be very intentional very relational very reproducible it can be rooted in scripture and and most of the time if you discipled someone from let's say 17 to 24 that 24 year old can be set on fire and that legacy for that grandparent has now drastically been changed and it wasn't like it wasn't like they, you know, they didn't, they had to, you know, the, the opportunity was there. Easy for me to say. Tony, that's so good. And that's really similar to how I help those uh, older saints to, as well, because, you know, as you said, like they, they're only accountable to what God had shown them before. Right. And so I just try to defang the guilt right there and say, listen, I, I imagine you've been faithfully following Jesus for decades and God's showing you something new here. 
And so if God's showing you something new, I would expect that you'll respond in the same way that you've been responding. And that is by engaging what he's showing you and trying to apply it right to life. And because if we don't address that guilt, then it really gets in people's way. But I like that idea of, um, you know, really showing vision to them as well. You know, we're both in, in Dayton, Ohio, and I know across our region, there are older believers who are discipling for the first time and doing it effectively. And I have a friend down in Florida, his mom started, oh, this might've been a couple years ago now, but she was 92 years old when she first started discipling somebody. And to see that, okay, we're not too old to start. And if we were faithful before, that's all we can control is our faithfulness to what God is showing us. As he's showing us something new, then we continue in faithfulness in that. Tony, can you help us try to um, unpack or to, to just sketch out for us? What, is it, what does it look like to establish some cultural clarity, um, to establish a clear definition within like a church setting? Yeah, well, I, I think that's a great question. And we talk about movement. And I think it's really important to see this as a movement. So um, if we want to get clarity around the definition, if we want to get movement, it's really going to have to start at the top, right? And, and so yeah. the leader is going to have to really be clear about what his or her definition of the word is. And then, um, and then I, I think we kind of follow Jesus's example a little bit. So then we pull around a team and, and you and I do work with churches all the time where we talk about leading, uh, you know, uh, leading learner teams, LLTs, and those are our cross-section of leaders um, throughout the organization, throughout the movement, throughout the church, where we can begin to filter in and kind of let the definition permeate. Mm -hmm. And then something that I always recommend that one of my mentors told me is that if you're a pastor and you're listening to this, um, you've got to teach your way through it. So what what he means by that is, is that the best and most consistent form of communication where you're going to get the most out of it is a uh, is the pulpit. So use the pulpit as a way to share the definition and be consistent, right? And um, th that kind of idea is is super important. And one of the things that we say a lot is that that common language creates common movements that changes the individual for the corporate good. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, I, yeah, I love that. You got, you got to yeah. say that again. I'll say it again, a little slower. Common language creates common movement that changes the individual for the corporate good. Hmm. So let me, let me break that down a little bit. Yeah. Is that when you get clear about a definition, if a leader gets clear about a definition, creates common language, right? That common language gets everybody kind of rowing in the same direction, right? And then as the individual understands his or her individual responsibility to row in the same direction, to move, the, the culture gets better. The corporate good gets better in the process. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I really like that. And I think, Tony, didn't you at, uh, at our church when you were pastoring there, you were talking about this definition of disciple making. You, you ironed it in and folded it into sermons for a long time. I don't remember how long, but it was at least months, right? That's it, it, it was, in every I think it sermon. was for six months. It was almost in every sermon. And, and actually I used it again in my last sermon. And, um, you know, if, if, if the one thing that I did for people in my seven years at restoration, 
was give them a definition around disciple making. I feel like that's enough because once you begin to get that clear idea, then you can see it, you can attain it, you can put handles on it, you can grab it. And, and God really begins to change some things. Yeah. Yeah. And you did way more than that, right? So it's not only a definition, but you were building disciple makers from that definition, right? It kind of set out, okay, this is who we are. This is who we're going to be both corporately and individually. This is who we're becoming. And as people start to move towards that, again, it's that cultural clarity that that definition helped provide that, okay, this is, this is what we're talking about. When we use the word disciple making, this is exactly what we mean. And this is exactly what we're asking people to do. So the power of that common definition in a culture is something that, you know, we shouldn't miss, right? Because for many churches, they don't have a common definition. And so they're not moving people. People aren't aren't looking at something and saying, okay, that's who we're trying to become. This is what we're trying to do. And if we don't have it, then again, we're back to the junk drawer where everything, every um, favorite program or favorite way to engage the church, that's their full definition of discipleship. And then it doesn't call people forth to become something uh, that that is more than what they already are, right? And as we've talked about before, disciple making moves us through our weakness and it, it's not easy. It's not easy. And it, if done well, it really does change everything. It, it and, and I actually think that if you're a church leader and you're listening to this, you can define disciple making, but you can also define a lot of things that will help build the, the culture that you want, right? Love is a word that we get thrown a lot of, around a lot that we don't define very well in the local church context. Uh, grace is another one, all those kind of things. So, you know, I, I think it's important to get that clear definition uh, for clear movement. Uh, Justin, why don't you give us the takeaway and action step? Yeah, so our takeaway today is is that great phrase or sentence that you gave us, Tony. Common language creates common movement that changes the individual for the corporate good. So there is so much in that sentence that if you just take some time and reflect on that, uh, that's really going to help you. Common language creates common movement that changes the individual for the corporate good. And then our action step today is define disciple-making language with your community and with the people that you are discipling. Guys, thank you so much for being a part of our community. We love doing this podcast. We love doing it with you. Do us a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a rating or review on iTunes and be sure be sure to share this episode with a friend. It is the highest compliment you can give us. We're so thankful and uh, we look forward to connecting with you guys real soon.